Well, thank you everybody for joining us again for our series of talks. Uh, today we're going to be covering St. Faustina, her life and her spirituality. And this is an exciting opportunity for me to talk about a saint near and dear to our heart, St. Faustina. And um, again, I'm Father Chris Alar, one of the Marian priests of the Immaculate Conception here at the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge. We have another beautiful day here, September 12th uh, at 11 a.m. And I apologize if I'm out of breath. And also, if you've been waiting on your candles, if you ordered candles, I uh, have blessed them and we've been trying to pack them. But we're very worried about the heat in shipping if some of that wax melts and then reforms in an improper shape. Please contact us if that happens and we'll try to see how we can rectify it for you. Um, but again, we are are continuing now the Explaining the Faith series, as you see on your screen. Now, this talk is not on the DVD, but it's continuing the series of talks that I do, I'm do. i doing called Explaining the Faith, and uh, you can get this at shopmercy.org or call 1-800-462-7426 or stream it live at thedivinemercy.org slash explaining the faith. And those are my first 13 talks that I did and we have more coming so God bless you we are happy you are with us um, as we uh, as we start this um, awesome topic of Saint Faustina her life and spirituality all right what we got to do is I got to take about five minutes or less to go back to the beginning. One of the earliest talks I did on this series was called Divine Mercy 101. And I need to resummarize some of that for you to lay the groundwork for who St. Faustina is. All right. We asked in that DVD, what was Adam and Eve's great sin? And, or excuse me, I just gave the answer. What was the problem with what Adam and Eve did? And everybody says the answer is they sinned. Actually, that is just the beginning of the problem. Uh, let's look. You see Adam and Eve in the garden, right? We see the serpent come down. What happened was Adam and Eve fell and it began the brokenness of our human nature but here's the issue. It's not so much that they sinned. It's what happened afterwards. And um, we, we know that what happened afterwards was a bigger problem. Let's look at our next slide. The ABCs. All right. Now, these ABCs of mercy are what I want to go through. So we're going to hold this on the screen for a minute as I talk my way through it. All right. First, A, did Adam and Eve ask for God's mercy and forgiveness after the fall? No. The problem is the Bible tells us unless we repent and ask for God's forgiveness, we can't enter the kingdom of God. So that was a bigger problem than the sin itself was they didn't ask for mercy and forgiveness. B, be merciful to each other. Did Adam and Eve be merciful to each other? No, they blamed each other. Adam says, Lord, it's the woman you gave me. And they didn't support each other. They blamed each other. They turned on each other. The Bible tells us that we must be merciful to each other. Matthew 25, chapter 25, the sheep and the goats tell us that we must be merciful to each other, um, treating each other with dignity and respect. And then finally, the big one, the big one, see 
Did Adam and Eve completely trust in God's mercy? St. Faustina said, Jesus told her, trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. You want to get to heaven? You need grace. You want grace? Trust is absolutely mandatory. Trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. So did they completely trust in God's mercy? See? No. What did they do? They ran and they hid. Okay, so we can take that slide down now. Now, this is what we call the ABCs, the message of divine mercy. And since divine mercy is misunderstood, many times people say, Father, we don't need another devotion, <clears throat> and devotions are optional. We don't need this divine mercy thing. Actually, we do, because divine mercy is not just a devotion. Yes, devotions are optional in the Catholic Church. Devotions to St. Therese or praying the chaplet of St. Michael, these are beautiful, but they're not mandatory to get to heaven. What is, is the nucleus of the gospel, and Pope Benedict XVI said, divine mercy is the nucleus of the gospel. In other words, you reject divine mercy, you reject the gospel. And so what we have here are in those ABCs, the message of the gospel. You got to ask for God's mercy, be merciful to each other, and completely trust in God's mercy. Now, this message is so important that God has been trying to give it to the world for centuries. He's been given it through saints and prophets, and we don't listen. We've been stiff-necked and stubborn. Finally, our Lord gets to this little person. Let's look at our next slide. This is the famous picture painting of St. Faustina. You've probably seen this. It's a painting, but I want to show you the next slide. You know what that painting's based off of? Look at the next slide. That's an actual photograph of St. Faustina. It's beautiful, isn't it? That's the picture that we see all over the place. It's a painting, but yet it comes from a real picture. All right, so basically our Lord, trying to give this message of mercy from the Garden of Adam and Eve to the world, finally says, that's it, I'm done. I'm done here. I, I'm, now he didn't use those words, but in essence that's what he meant because he says, you, St. Faustina, will help prepare the world for my final coming. And he picked this little saint named St. Faustina, nobody from nowhere, and he gave her, the next slide, five new channels of grace. These five new channels of grace we call the devotion of divine mercy. And why do we have them if devotions are optional? Because they help us live a deeper message of divine mercy, the ABCs. So this devotion, which we know from the acronym Finch, the feast, the image, the novena, the chaplet, and the hour of divine mercy, are what Faustina, five new channels of grace she gave to the world to tell us what we need to know. So if you want to go back on this, my Divine Mercy 101, part one and two, explain all this. But now we have to move on because that's why she was chosen by the world, to, to bring this message from the garden back to the world, this ABCs, ask for mercy, be merciful, completely trust, back to the world through five new channels of grace called the devotion of divine mercy, the feast, the image, the novena, the chaplet, and the hour. You see, that's why divine mercy is both a message and a devotion. All right, now, let's go to our next slide. 
Who was St. Faustina? You know, a passport usually tells who you are, right? Your height, your weight, your hair color, your date of birth, your citizenship. Here's St. Faustina's paperwork, visa or passport. And so we asked the question, who was St. Faustina? And that's, that's one of her legal documents that we have there uh, a picture of. Now let's go to the next picture. The next slide is her house. Can you imagine this little house? This is St. Faustina's actual house where she was born with 10, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, as the third of 10 siblings. They lived in this little farmhouse which was on 12 acres in rural Poland. She was born on August 25th, 1905 as Helena Kowalska. In Polish, the W sounds like a V. It's Kowalska, as we would say it, but Kowalska in Polish. She was born there and her father was a peasant carpenter and her family was very poor, but very religious. As I said, she was the third of 10 children and you know what her job was on the farm? God bless Sister Faustina, St. Faustina. Her job as a little girl growing up was a dirt clod breaker upper. <laughs> her job on the farm as a little girl was to go through the, 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 the field and squish the dirt clods to make it better for planting. So anyway, they were very poor. The sisters, her and her sisters had to share one dress so only one could go to Mass at a time on Sundays. And so this was very um, uh, sad to St. Faustina. Um, she first had a call, she felt, <clears throat> to the religious life when she was only seven. And these mystical experiences continued. Uh, in fact, uh, when she was seven, she felt our Lord in adoration. And then she had actual visions of him at 13. And picture this. When she was 13, Jesus appeared to her and explained to her the entire mass. <laughs> Can you imagine a 13-year-old and you have Jesus himself teaching you the mass? All right, so then in 1924, when she was 19, this is really where it all begins. She and her sister Natalia went to a dance at a park in Poland. And there in the middle of the dance, she had a vision of a suffering Jesus, and he asked her, how much longer are you going to make me wait? She saw him as Christ crucified, not as Christ resurrected yet. That would come later. So she took that to mean she was to enter to religious life. So she raced off to the cathedral and was told by Jesus to leave for Warsaw at once to join a convent. So she packed a small bag that very night and she took a train the next morning for Warsaw, which was 85 miles away. Now here's what's interesting. She did this without the permission of her parents. Now this was very rare at that time because everything was done with the permission of your parents. She didn't know anyone in Warsaw. So this was the ultimate trust. Um, then when she got to Warsaw, she um, entered the first church she saw. I was there a couple years ago. It's called St. James. And she went there and the first thing she did was attend Mass. Isn't that awesome? You know, when we're lost or scared, one of the last things we think about is attending Mass. And it should be the first thing we take, uh, think about. All right. So Faustina approached several convents when she got to Warsaw, but she was turned down every time. 
basically every comment, uh, sorry, convent told her that we do not accept maids here. Isn't that something? Um, referring to her poverty and her lack of education. You know, she only had three formal winters of education. Um, she did not have a long education track record. She could barely read and write. Well, anyway, after several weeks, the Mother Superior at the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, which was their congregation, gave her a chance. Now, funny, St. Faustina didn't know anything about the convent or the religious community that she was joining. She just knew that Jesus led her there. Some people would call that blind faith. No, this is trust because she was listening in her heart to what God was doing and how he was leading her. So she conditionally accepted St. Faustina, the mother superior, provided that she could pay for her religious habit. So in 1925, St. Faustina worked as a housemaid to try to save money working with local families. But when she came back to the convent, can you remember, can you imagine this? The, the, the mother superior tells you, okay, if you go away and make money and come back, we'll give you a chance. Well, when Faustina came back, the mother superior didn't remember her. <laughs> Could you imagine? You go away for almost a year and you're working and, and you're saving money and you come back and the mother superior doesn't remember her. I mean, I can't even imagine how frustrating that would be. But she finally was allowed acceptance conditionally. All right, so in April of 1926, when she was 20 years old, she received, was entered in, and then, I'm sorry, she was entered in earlier, and then in 1926, April, she received her habit. Now, Helena Kowalska took the religious name Sister Maria Faustina of the Blessed Sacrament. Faustina, what a beautiful name, huh? And it means fortunate or blessed one. And many believe it's from the feminine form of Faustinus, which was a martyr in the early centuries of the church. All right, so let's take a look at our next slide. This is a picture I took um, that was one of her comments. I think this was Wadgivniki when I was up there. But anyway, she then entered the community. So let's look at this. The, you know, you could see the, the grounds there and, and, and the old building. But she had duties such as cook, gardener, and portress, which means you attended the door. Um, she lived between eight different convents between Poland and Lithuania. And um, she, knew, you know, she got to know the sisters as she traveled. Well, here was the problem. A lot of the sisters mocked her. They, um, they thought that she's trying to get out of work and, and most did not like her. This is surprising, but Jesus said, right, that they don't like me, they won't like you either. And don't get discouraged when that happens. Um, you know, some, though, did take her advice and came to her. So anyway, on February 22nd, 1931, it's a very important date, February 22nd, 1931, when she was in her cell in Płock in Poland, Jesus appeared to her as the king of divine mercy. And this was the image St. Faustina saw. So on the screen, we see that this was how Jesus appeared to her in person. And wearing the white garment with the red and the pale rays emanating from his heart. I do a whole talk on the meaning of the image. Again, I can't do it now, but if you want to go back to the Divine Mercy 101 series on my explaining the faith, it's all there. Well, anyway, he was 
This would be the image that Faustina would paint later. He asked her in the first visit to, you know, he appeared as this, and then later she would paint it, the image she saw before her. So anyway, Jesus told St. Faustina that divine mercy is mankind's last hope of salvation. And he said it was now a time of mercy, but woe to those who miss it. He said, if you don't pass through the doors of my mercy, you must pass through the doors of my justice. And he told her to work with her confessor. He said, if you hide anything from your confessor, I'll hide from you. Let's ask ourselves, are we hiding anything from our confessor? All right, next, I want to show you a quick video that tells us a little bit of who St. Faustina was. Go ahead. Assured of what she must do, Faustina left for Warsaw at once. There she was rejected at every convent door except one, the Congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy, a religious order dedicated to helping prostitutes reform their lives. After Faustina entered the Sisters of Mercy, her superior, in her notes, assessed the new novice as no one special and put Faustina to work to pay for her religious clothing. She was a simple, uneducated nun with just three grades of elementary schooling. She rarely left the convent and performed the most mundane tasks. Her life appeared so ordinary on the outside. She was busy working and spent part of her time in the chapel. Every day she met the same people. Her day had the same rhythm. So on the outside, she led a dull, humdrum existence. Beneath her perceived dull existence, Faustina's deep inner life overflowed with extraordinary mystical graces, divine revelations, and heavenly visitations. Christ began appearing frequently to her in visions, sometimes as the King of Mercy, resplendent in light and majesty. At other times, he appeared as the tortured, crucified Christ. At the request of her spiritual director, Faustina began privately to record these mystical experiences in a diary. Okay, so isn't that a great little quick clip? Basically, St. Faustina was having these visions now, and she told her confessor about it, and he insisted that she have a complete psychiatric evaluation. Now, this confessor, let's go, let's go actually, let's go to our next slide, which is the, the diary. As the end of the video shows, he, um, her confessor instructed St. Faustina to write down what Jesus told her in a diary. So you see, this is the diary that we have now today, published by us, the Marian Fathers, here at the National Shrine. And in that diary, Jesus tells St. Faustina what to write down. Now, she then told her confessor, and he wanted a complete psychiatric evaluation. This confessor, let's go to our next slide, is Blessed Michael Sapochko. And oh my, I think I'm going to do a whole talk one of these days on just Blessed Michael Sapochko, an incredible priest, a priest Jesus said after his own heart. Now, he advised Faustina to begin writing a diary and to record all these conversations. But what happened was a demon played on the issue of pride and told St. Faustina, who do you think you are? 
This is prideful, and St. Faustina fell for it. Even saints can fall for the trick of the evil one if we're not careful, and she burned it. Now, after she burned the diary, the original diary, Father or Blessed Michael Sapochko, who I just showed you on the screen, told her to write it, rewrite it. The problem was she was having current visions, and then she starts writing down old memories of old visions, and the problem is they got mixed. That's why if you read the diary today, it might be a little confusing because it's not in chronological order necessarily. And so this is what confuses some people about the diary. All right, so he told her to write it down. That is why she is now known as the secretary and apostle of divine mercy. All right, so in 1934, Blessed Michael Sapochko introduced her to the artist Eugene Kazmierowski, who actually lived in Blessed Michael Sapochko's house. And he was the artist who began to paint the image of divine mercy. They worked together and the, what Jesus said is the pattern that you see before you. Now Faustina wasn't happy with the image. Uh, she made him redo it multiple times. Finally Jesus says, you know what? It's good enough. <laughs> you know, you can, see, you can see our poor Lord frustrated, you know, oh, it's good enough. Just, just go with that one. Um, so anyway, there's many promises that you can see on our website that are made about the image for those who venerate it. It's a beautiful gift from our Lord. All right. Then on Good Friday, 1935, Jesus told St. Faustina that he wanted this image of divine mercy publicly honored. So that year, during Lent, and then going into Holy Week, Sapochko started to bring this image out, and he gave a sermon on divine mercy, and St. Faustina attended it on Divine Mercy Sunday, or I should say the Sunday after Easter, 1935. So if anybody asks you when it really began, the real first Divine Mercy Sunday, even though 2000 it was instituted, was 1935. He gave also later some other things to St. Faustina, such as a chaplet of divine mercy. We know that he gave her that to pray. We have that on the other talk as well. And he really started to give her mystical experiences. St. Faustina visited heaven, hell, and purgatory, which is all accounted in the diary. She was visited by Satan multiple times as himself, but even once disguised as an angel. And so again, Satan can trick us if we're not careful, remain in a state of grace. She was given the ability to bilocate and she could read souls. Wow, that's, that's quite a person, isn't it? You think of all those things she was already given by our Lord. And, you know, and, but basically she just, she always remembered that prayer in her heart, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a poor sinner. Let's make that prayer ourselves, right? So anyway, what Jesus was preparing her for was coming suffering. And he gave her a choice. Really, he does this with us too, to either accept our suffering or not. And he said, because if she did not freely accept it, it would be meaningless. Think about that in our own suffering. If we don't accept it, it's meaningless. But she always said yes. Does that mean that we should say, bring me on suffering, Lord? I want suffering, bring it on? No, but we got to do what Jesus did in the garden. Lord, let this suffering cup pass me by. But then he said, not my will be done, your will be done.
So anyway, she suffered tremendously. The sisters thought she was faking it. Um, at God's request, though, she offered these sufferings in union with him on his cross to atone for the sins of others. Um, she shared in a special part of Christ's cross. So I ask you, are you being asked by Jesus to share in a part of his cross? I think in some way all of us are. Some of us may be slivers, others might be complete beams, right? But he's asking us, right? And he remember, he won't give us more than we can handle, although I know it doesn't seem that way sometimes. But anyway, he gives more to those special souls. So if you have a lot of suffering, it may really be, in fact, I may not, I'm not even saying the word may, it is because you're a special soul to Jesus. Wow, it seems paradoxical, doesn't it? Well, anyway, here was God's plan. This suffering she would go through and the doubt would perfect her in trust and obedience for her mission. <clears throat> she received a lot of internal or invisible stigmatas, spiritual stigmatas, we call them, like St. Catherine of Siena. She suffered the pains and symptoms of abortion three times and she lost consciousness. That's how bad the pain was. And it, she said it was to offer reparation to God for the souls murdered in the womb by their mothers. And this is very, very hard, right? Um, so anyway, but in the midst of all this, God did give consolations. Remember, she was only one of three humans ever that we know of in human history to see a seraphim angel. The first was Isaiah, the Old Testament, when the seraphim held the burning coal to his lips to purify his speech. St. Francis saw a seraphim angel right before his stigmata. And St. Faustina had a seraphim angel bring her Holy Communion. This is amazing. Now, here's another amazing story. Look at our next slide. This is the Rome at the canonization of St. Faustina, right? This is awesome. She, St. Faustina, actually had a vision of this. In fact, she even had visions of Divine Mercy Sunday celebrated in her chapel and in Rome. And here she saw her canonization. Now, this was awesome because there's a part in the diary that's very interesting. She saw St. Peter whisper in Pope John Paul's ear. Can you imagine St. Faustina before John Paul was even, you know, um, even thought about for being a cardinal or the pope? saw him at this moment of her canonization and she saw St. Peter, this is in her diary, whisper into his ear. And right after that, Saint, uh, or, uh, John Paul II announced that Divine Mercy Sunday was going to be placed on the universal calendar and was going to be an official feast of the church. And it shocked everybody, especially his close confidants, because they didn't know this was coming. And so I believe that, that he didn't plan on it, but St. Peter told him to do it. Is that not incredible? That's amazing. So anyway, this was to announce Divine Mercy Sunday that wasn't planned. Well, now let's go back to St. Faustina's time. Now let's fast forward or rewind back. So St. Faustina, during her time, this word started getting out about these visions. Um, under Pius the 11th and 12th, imprimatas were given on the writings about divine mercy that, that had gotten out. And divine mercy was supported now by some bishops who made it an approved devotion. Now, 
Before she died, she predicted that there would be a great war, a terrible war. And we know that this happened, World War II, right? Happened one year in Poland after St. Faustina died. She died in October 5th, 1938, and World War II in Poland started September 1st, 1939, so less than one year. Well, anyway, when she knew about this, this great war coming, she asked the nuns in her comment to pray for Poland, and they did. So you know what? Use this to pray for your country. Jesus didn't say pray for all the nations or the European Union, which didn't exist, but pray for your country. Please pray for your country wherever you're watching from. Americans, please pray for the U.S. So she died of tuberculosis on October 5th, 1938. But then in 1939, as the war began, a bishop noticed that what she predicted about the war came true. So he allowed this public access to the divine mercy image, and that began the spread of divine mercy. Let's take a look at the next picture, the next slide. This is one of our articles online called America's Great Import. This is on our website. It's a picture of Father Joseph Yarzimbowski, a Marian of the Immaculate Conception. And this is the key guy. This Marian who knew Blessed Michael Sapochko took some of the literature, the novena and the image and a little prayer card and different things and gave it to, um, <clears throat> uh, Blessed Michael Sapochko gave it to our priest, Father Joseph, and Father Joseph said, I'm going to take it to the United States. And he made a prayer to the Lord that if I arrive safely in the United States, I will dedicate my life to spreading this message of divine mercy. Well, his story, that's a whole nother talk, was miraculous. He couldn't go west because of the war. He had to travel east through Siberia and Russia and Japan and across the Pacific Ocean with expired visas and improper paperwork. And in fact, he had material and bags. And in one checkpoint, the, um, the soldiers uh, passed right over his bag, miraculously didn't even look in the bag. And, and if he they would have saw the Divine Mercy material, probably would have been executed. This is the amazing story of Father Joseph Yarzhambowski. Well, what happened was, he brought this material and arrived in the US in the spring of 1941. Now, this is just before World War II in America, or for America. By the end of 1941, millions of Divine Mercy prayer cards with the help of the Felician Sisters out of Detroit, go Detroit, and um, Connecticut, Enfield, Connecticut, helped us start printing these. Then some of the soldiers, American soldiers, even took these to the Philippines. God bless the Philippines, because this is where they launched a huge movement of spreading this message, and it's still so popular over there in the Philippines. So in World War II, this is what happened. But the key was the Association of Marian Helpers. After Yozembowski brought it to the United States, the Marian fathers picked it up, and we said, we're gonna spread this. And one of our priests, Father Pelchinski, started the Association of Marian Helpers in 1944 here in Stockbridge, which I have the honor of now being the director. And this association 
now does the work of St. Faustina, Blessed Michael Sapochko, and Father Joseph Yarzhambowski. You want to be a part of that mission? You don't have to get on a plane and fly to Africa. If you can, that's great. But if you want to be part of the mission, as Brother Mark always says, the hands and the feet of God's divine mercy, you can through the myriads. And this next slide is how you do it. Go to micprayers.com and become. It's no charge. It takes 10 seconds to sign up. There's no charge. And you can see how to sign up for the Association of Marian Helpers. Again, go to micprayers.com and sign up because it's no charge. It's free. It takes 10 seconds. But you can become the hands and feet of God's divine mercy by spreading and sharing in this mission with us. And then you can share in all the graces, just like you were a Marian of the Immaculate Conception, our masses, our prayers, our rosaries. What a deal. I mean, it's God's grace so full. Uh, beautiful. All right. So now let's go back to St. Faustina. As the association started, there was a bombshell in 1959. Rome banned it. And the images and the writings that were given about this were banned. Well, you know, St. Faustina saw this. She talked about this in her diary. She said this would happen. She predicted it. But praise God, in 1978, the ban was lifted because of a faulty translation. The um, Italian nun that put it into, or excuse me, the, the trans, uh, what do you call it, translated it into Italian, there were several confusing passages. Like in one place, St. Faustina supposedly said, I am divine mercy. Well, you know what? If you're the church and you read that, you should ban it. So when people say, oh, Father, I can't follow this. It was banned by the church. It was because the church had wrong information and she should ban it based on that information. Once that was clarified, the ban was lifted in 1978, shortly before John Paul II became Pope. And then when he became Pope, he spearheaded a new effort to, to study this and to bring it to the masses of Catholic faithful. Then, shortly after, in the late 70s, our own, very own, Father Serafim Mikolenko smuggled from communist Poland pictures of the diary passages, and he brought it to the United States and had them translated. This is incredible. Happy 90th birthday, St. Father, <laughs> I just canonized him, uh, Father Serafim, because what you did was truly amazing. So this exclusive mission of the life of St. Faustina was this, glorify the mercy of God and plead mercy for the whole world. We too are called to do that. Her mission is our mission. And if you become a, a member of the Association of Marian Helpers, you share in that mission. Glorify the mercy of God and plead mercy for the whole world. So the spirituality of St. Faustina, I just described her life. Now her spirituality was trust and mercy. She had total trust. Why? Because Jesus asked her to do something, a lot of things she couldn't do. He asked her to paint, but she wasn't an artist. She asked her, he asked her to spread this around the world, but she had no money. He asked her to make it a feast, but she had no influence in the church. So Jesus asked her to do things she can't do. She was not an artist. She had no money. She had no influence. He gave her no real help. Well, maybe in Sapochko, but he then held her accountable for the souls if she didn't do it. I mean, wow, you talk about trust. Our Lord was testing her here. 
but he was with her the whole way. So St. Faustina, as, Saint, as uh, Father Seraphim, I keep calling him Saint, as Father Seraphim started to study this, there was the cause for her beatification came up. And she was beatified with the miracle of our very own friend, Maureen Digan. Right here from this area, she comes to the shrine all the time. You can see information on her. She was cured of lymphedemia, lymphedema, which was, is basically a, 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 cure, or a, a, a disease that doesn't go into remission. There was no cure, and she was cured. Then for the canonization, Father Ron Patel, Ron Patel was cured of heart disease, an incurable heart disease. So basically, she's been canonized. Now we pray that she'll become the fifth woman doctor of the church, right? Um, and uh, this is powerful stuff. So anyway, she wrote about mercy, and encouraged others to trust in Jesus, preparing the world for his final coming. That was the message here. So John Paul II said, quote, it was precisely to this poor girl, this little girl from nowhere, that God entrusted the mission of announcing to the whole world the most important message of the 20th century. Are you kidding me? Is that not important? Oh, wow. So anyway, let's look at our next slide. I've shown this before, but as Father Seraphim says, it's the greatest grassroots movement in the history of the Catholic Church. There you see Divine Mercy Sunday a couple years ago, right here from Stockbridge. It is a powerful, beautiful grace from God. Now, this entire message that St. Faustina wrote about is about trust. And you know what else? So is the Bible. If you want to summarize the entire Bible, it's a love story. And in that love story is the need to trust, to trust God. Trust is the key. Let's look at our next slide. It tells you right there. It's the link. It's the key. Trust. Trust is the key. Be not afraid. Those were the first words when John Paul was elected Pope. And it said 365 times in the Bible, be not afraid. We are not talking about servile fear here. Satan's second greatest tool or not fear of the Lord. I'm sorry, we are talking about servile fear. Be not afraid. We're not talking about fear of the Lord, which can be good. The entire diary and Bible are about trust, returning to him as our spouse, overcoming fear. This is it. Faustina, she stated, one act of trust gives greater glory to God than whole hours passed in prayer filled with consolations. Actually, it gives the greatest glory to God. Trust is the expectation of someone's help and then using that help when it's given to you. You know what I think of? Mary. You want to trust in God? Trust means that you accept someone's help that they offer you. Okay, if you want to trust in God, that means you accept his help. How did God help us? by giving us the gift in the garden of Mary, a mother, and then the promise of a savior. You know, and Adam and Eve, let's go back to them. Sin, as I said, wasn't the problem. It was not trusting. They didn't believe God. The serpent gave them this distorted image. The, oh, he's this rule maker and, and you should be fearful. Satan is about distrust. You can only trust yourself, Satan wants to tell us. You know that um, do it your own way, Frank Sinatra, right? I did it my way. That's what Satan wants to tell us. This brings slavery, not freedom. 
And we have to understand that. Um, we become slaves of the things that we want to fulfill us, our, our, our appetites or our sexuality or our, our weak wills. Um, this brings unhappiness and fear. And you know what's interesting? Did you know that fear is the number one reason people said in a Pew study that they don't go to church? Fear is the number one reason why people don't go to church. They're afraid of this God who sets the rules. Well, you know where we, we, where we see that? Father Mike Gately calls it the school of trust. Now, I want to show you a quick, this is a three-minute video, so it's not long, but let's watch it. Stay with me. When Adam and Eve hear God walking in the garden, rather than run to him, they run away. Rather than acknowledge their sin, confess it, and jump into the embrace of God's love, they hide. Rather than trust in our infinitely good and merciful God, they're afraid of Him. Now the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us exactly what's going on here. It says, Man, tempted by the devil, let his trust in his Creator die in his heart, and abusing his freedom, disobeyed God's command. This is what man's first sin consisted of. All subsequent sin would be disobedience toward God and lack of trust in His goodness. Now notice that the key word here is trust. The first sin begins with a lack of trust. It says, man let his trust in his Creator die in his heart. And this root of sin applies not only to the first sin, but as the Catechism says, to all subsequent sin. Indeed, every one of our sins involves lack of trust in God's goodness. The Catechism goes on to include this lack of trust as one of the tragic consequences of sin. Getting even more specific, it says that Adam and Eve become afraid of the God of whom they have conceived a distorted image. And that right there, that part about the distorted image, that explains a lot. And why does it explain a lot? Well, because that wound of having a distorted image of God has been passed on to us. I mean, every single one of us tends to fear God and to lack trust in Him. We tend to see Him as one who just wants to ruin our fun, one who's always ready to give us the divine smackdown, one who's jealous to hold on to His power over us. But is that true? Is God some kind of spiteful and vindictive being who just likes to establish rules that no one can follow and then punish us for not following them? No, that's not who God is. Here's the reality. Our God is a Father who burns with love for us and longs to make us happy. He shows infinite mercy towards us, not because He has to, but because He wants to. And if we really understood that in our hearts, then wouldn't it make sense to give Him all of our trust? Yet we don't. We need to get back to the kind of childlike innocence where we trust our Heavenly Father. Now, unfortunately, we often don't have that kind of trust. We don't let ourselves fall into the loving arms of the Lord. I know that trusting in the Lord is not easy. The distorted image of Him that we all have to one degree or another can be difficult to overcome. Yet God works so hard to heal this wound in us. In fact, I'd say that all of salvation history can be summarized as God's great effort of trying to get us skittish, fearful creatures to give up our fear of Him and trust in His love and goodness. You know, in salvation history, in the story of sacred scripture, God is trying to teach us, trying to convince us to trust in Him so He can heal us and save us. And that's why I think the whole of the Bible can really be summarized as one long school of trust, one great effort on God's part to heal the distorted image of Him that each one of us has. And He wants to heal that wound in us so we'll begin to trust in Him again 
so he can save us. Okay, so as Father Mike Gately just told us, the key is trust. Now, okay, Father, you can say it's trust, but how do I apply it? Well, the best way to learn is we, when we learn from someone's example. Any athlete watches a great athlete to learn by example. A student tries to imitate the, the master in, in the way they think and turn to be a great um, mathematician. Now, who's the ultimate mother of trust? Obviously, Mary. Let's look at our next slide. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful painting. Look at the angel there, our blessed mother, right? We obtain trust through Mary because she is the new Eve, all right? She's the opposite of the original Eve because she was the mother of distrust. Mary did not fear. She gave her fiat, her yes, when she only had trust in what the Lord was telling her would happen. So she's this gift that God gave to us as a mother, a creature like us, because he knew we would be afraid. You know, when I was afraid that I did something or my dad would be disappointed in me or I did something wrong, I ran to my mom. Why? Because as I was, you know, it was common. I, um, I was afraid that my dad would think I wasn't tough and that I wouldn't be happy, um, or that, sorry, he wouldn't be happy with me. And so I would run to my mom. But you know what my mom did? She would assure me that dad wouldn't think that of me, that I had no reason to fear. This is what Mary can do for us. This is truly who she is. Mary truly is the new Eve, right? Because she brings to us the new Adam. So Mary's the new Eve. She brings to us the new Adam, Jesus, on the new tree of life, the cross. So the old Eve, the old Adam, and the old tree of life are all undone. With the new Eve, Mary, the new Adam, Jesus, and the new tree of life, the wood cross. So this, let's look at our next slide, is what Marian consecration is all about. This entrustment, trusting our guide, Mary is that guide, to get us to Jesus, the goal. To Jesus through Mary. So ask her to help you to know God's will because she always did God's will perfectly. So if you want to know God's will perfectly, she can help you because she did it perfectly. There's nothing wrong asking for other people's help. If you saw somebody get 100% on their exam, you're going to ask their help for the next exam. You did it perfectly. Can you show me how to do it? What's wrong with that? Nothing. It's a gift, okay? All right, so how do we know God's will? Your everyday life. The church teaches us what is within God's commands and then your duties as your state in life, as a mother, a wife, a husband, a father, those are how you know God's will is just persevering in your daily duties. You know, Father, there's got to be more to life than cooking and cleaning and helping my children with their homework and going to work and fighting the traffic and coming home and then doing it all over again. Actually, that's how we're sanctified in our duties. Just ask St. Joseph the worker, right? Father Don Calloway's new St. Joseph book. Uh, great. All right. Now, sometimes though in our daily life we encounter evil. Let's look at the next slide. In the midst of that teacher and those students going through their daily day duties, like you just said, Father Chris, we incur evil. But remember, did God create evil? God created everything, Father. But did he create evil? No. 
God can't create evil. It's contrary to his nature. Well, then, Father, how do you explain it? All right, evil is not a real thing. Evil is simply a privation or lack of the good whose goodness itself, God. So when you take God out of the courts, out of the family, out of society, out of school, you're taking goodness itself out, and what's left is evil. You know, it's, it's, that's what we call a privation of the good. This is why I saw, I always tell the story, I saw a t-shirt in the airport once, and it said, Columbine, Sandy Hook. You know, these are the school shootings. And it said, God, how can you let this happen in our schools? Question mark. And then below it, it responded, and it said, God, quote, I'm not allowed in your schools. Wow. That's what's happening. So when we pull God out, we wonder why we're stricken with fear. Because you've pulled God out. Now we're, we're petrified to go into schools. We're petrified to go to big events for, for shootings and all this other stuff. We fear others. We fear that evil has the last word, but it doesn't. Evil doesn't have the last word. Fear is causing us to lose our freedoms. Fear of being offended? Seriously? No, come on. We, we, we have freedom of speech in the press, but now it's being taken away. We have religious freedom to practice our faith, our Christian faith, that marriage is between a man and a woman and life in the womb is sacred, but we're being told now we can't. Religious freedoms are being stripped. Human interaction is being stripped. We're not allowed to stand next to each other. No, I know we got to be prudent. Please understand, I know that. But yet to take away an opportunity for more than 10 people to worship outside when there's room for a thousand, I'm sorry, that's fear unfounded. And so that's what's happening. So anyway, our trust needs to be strong because you know what? Let's look at our next slide. Here's a beautiful picture of Arlington National Cemetery. I come from a military family. So I always think of the military families. Our trust needs to be strong enough to hand everything over to God before we get to this point. When we have that trust, we have nothing to fear. We will all die someday, but we need not fear storms or, or Satan or death, even death. Let's look at Satan. Who can kill only the body but not the soul? God. So God is the only one we should fear in a good way, not a servile fear, in a love of God. Matter. None of this other stuff can harm us unless we let it. If we are fearful at death, this means that our hearts love the world more than the Father. And we need to pray for our brothers and sisters who are fearful. Yes, we will miss them, but we must not mourn like we have no hope. This is 1 Thessalonians 4.13. All right, let's go to our next slide. I love these slides. All right, our next slide says, pray as much as you can for the dying. By your entreaties, obtain for them trust in my mercy because they have most need of trust and have it the least. That's exactly what I'm saying here. Be assured that the grace of eternal salvation for certain souls in their final moment depends on your prayer. That was Jesus talking to St. Faustina. Okay, this is why it's important. Now, some of the mystics, and I know this is not official doctrine, but these are some of the mystics' teachings. Maria Sima said that tears at funerals are only for ourselves if you really want to help the one in the casket prayer is the way. 
For those who are weak in trust, obviously death can be occasion of worry, anxiety, or fear, but it shouldn't be. Heaven is in store. Heaven is the place where there is going to be an internal love, an exchange of love, giving and receiving. And for this reason, to get to that point of ultimate resurrection, we have a situation where we must go through first the crucifixion. So the crucifixion and death is the first step before the resurrection. So before we enter into heaven, we got to go through the crucifixion of suffering in life and then death itself. This way we imitate our Savior. Now I know it's easy to say for me up here, but trust me, my heart goes out. I'm, I, I faced it with three of my best friends that I ever knew in my life growing up. Steve Middleton, Nick Rafko, and Bob Brandt. God rest all of their souls. The three best friends I had growing up are all passed away. So I can't even imagine the, the horror and the terror and the feelings of emotion that their families went through. So I'm not trying to minimize it. I'm just saying that this is, death is not an end. It's a transition into a new life. All right, we will be judged how we gave ourselves to others on the cross like Jesus did. All right, so that is why God will not always say yes to our prayers when we ask him to spare us the cross. All right, this is why Jesus said to St. Faustina, look at the next slide. My child, know that the greatest obstacles to holiness are discouragement and exaggerated anxiety. These will deprive you of the ability to practice virtue. Wow, that's a powerful statement. So here's the point, everybody. Our worries can't change anything. Now, in some sense, worry is not bad if it gets us to pray, because prayer can change things. But worry by itself without prayer can't change anything. If we worry excessively, we show that we are not fully at peace with God's will. I know that's easy for me to say up here to you. I get that. I worry myself. I worry every night I go to bed that are we going to be able to keep our doors open at the association? Are we going to be able to meet the ministerial needs? I think of all the people who've contacted me whose sons and daughters have taken their own lives, and, and I've got literally hundreds of people to call back, thousands of letters to respond to, and I worry sick that people are going to think that I don't care about them. If you're one of the ones waiting for my response, I promise you, I will get to you. I want to. I don't know exactly when, but, but I'm giving me my, my, my absolute best shot. Brother Mark and I are over at the Association of Midnight Every Night getting our work done. So please pray for us as we pray for you. Now, doing God's will and not our own will brings ultimate happiness because it brings salvation. Sin is nothing other than independence from God's will for our life. Did you ever think about that? Sin is nothing more than independence from God's will in your life. In other words, not trusting. I'm going to do it my way, Lord, not your way. Do we consult with God before we take a new job or before we move to a new city or before we en enroll in a new degree program? If we, if, if, if we don't, we're cutting ourselves off. We, we're we're, we're in making ourselves independent from God's will. 
And when we do that, if we separate ourselves from God's will, we often fall into sin. And when we do that, we cut ourselves off from God's grace. Now, here's where I'm getting into the key. When we do that, what are we? When we cut ourselves off from God's grace, what are we? The answer, misery. We are nothing but misery. But don't despair. Jesus told us there's a huge um, opportunity here. Faustina said that the secret to happiness is to always be aware of one's own misery. What? St. Faustina said the secret to happiness is to always be aware of one's own misery. Wow. Yes, because only then will you recognize your need for God's mercy, and many times that's why he allows our suffering. You see, when we can turn to him in misery, we then receive God's mercy. That's why the image of divine mercy is the face of the Father's mercy. God the Father sending his mercy incarnate in the face of Jesus. All right, let's read our next slide. Your misery does not hinder my mercy. My daughter write that the greater the misery of a soul, the greater its right to my mercy. I think that's one of my favorite passages in the entire diary of St. Faustina. If that doesn't give you hope, I don't know what does. My daughter write that the greater the misery of a soul, the greater its right to my mercy. Urge all souls to trust in the unfathomable abyss of my mercy because I want to save them all. So everybody, here's the key. The key to happiness is an awareness of both our misery and God's mercy. And I'm going to tell you how. If we do not accept the truth of our own limitations and our misery, we can't trust. If we only seek temporal happiness in the flesh and, and in money and sex and power. That's why we consecrated religious take the three vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. The vow of poverty overcomes the God of the world of money. The vow of chastity overcomes the God of the world of sex. The vow of obedience overcomes the God of the world of power. So you see, in that we're miserable, both the world thinks, most of the world thinks you have no money, you have no sex, you have no power. You must be miserable. <laughs> Actually, it's the key to happiness because you're fully dedicated to the will of God. So if we seek only temporal happiness, this is what God never promised us, we will not trust Jesus. This is why don't fall for that crazy gospel of prosperity. You believe in Jesus, you'll get that new car. You believe in Jesus, you'll get that new house. You believe in Jesus, you'll be promoted to be the boss at work because Jesus is on your side. Yeah, that's true, but that's not what Jesus promises. Jesus never promises those things. What he promises is to follow him, deny your cross, or uh, pick up your cross, follow him, deny yourself and follow him. So be careful that gospel of prosperity. All right, now let's look at our next slide. Many people came to Jesus because they knew their misery and their inability to help themselves. Their suffering and misery brought them to their knees in a cry for mercy. 
Only then could Jesus help them. That's the key. Only then can Jesus help us. You know, the only unforgivable sin. Everybody asks me, Father, are there any sins unforgivable? Lying, stealing, murder, cheating, abortion. Are they, are they forgivable? Every single sin is forgivable except one. The sin against the Holy Spirit, which basically means final impenitence, which basically is, you know what? I don't need the mercy of God. I'm fine. Don't fall into that trap. Well, God can't love me. God loves everybody who wouldn't have created you. Father, you never know what sin I've committed. I've committed these horrible sins. Jesus said, if you take all the sins ever committed in the history of the world and put them together, they're but a drop compared to his ocean of mercy. All right. You go ask for God's forgiveness. Faustina said to Jesus, I love this. She said, Lord, I've given you everything. He says, no, you haven't. She says, yes, I have. He goes, no, you haven't. She says, yes, I have. Jesus, I've given you everything. He says, no, you haven't. You haven't given me your misery. That's the meaning of surrender. Lord, I give it to you. I can't do this anymore. I trust that somehow, some way, you will find a greater good out of this. I don't see it, but I trust you will make it happen. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to all of a sudden win the lottery to be able to pay all your bills. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about surrendering to the will of God in your life. You see, the temptation is to think that mercy means being saved from the cross rather than being saved through the cross. You know who made that huge mistake? It can happen to the best of us. Everybody. St. Peter. You remember when Peter said, no way, Lord, I'm not letting you go to Jerusalem to be nailed to a cross. What did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. So basically, don't think that mercy means being saved from the cross rather than being saved through the cross. That's what Peter learned. All right, let's look at our next slide. Even Satan, here's a slide. Even Satan plays a key part in God's plan. What? Yes. Why would God allow Satan to exist, Father? Satan actually plays a key plan, in God, a part in God's plan, because he's used to test us, just like Peter. Just like Peter. God actually tricks Satan, because why? This is fascinating. God tricks Satan because he knows the devil will expose our misery. Our poverty and our misery. He wants to tell you, you, you got nothing. So the devil wants to expose your poverty and your misery. He wants to show you how weak and broken you are. You got nothing. I remember when we were playing high school football and we had this great rivalry. And I remember getting in a jam pile or block pile and a bunch of my buddies were there in the pile and the other players got up and one of the players looked at our star player and he says, you ain't got nothing. And he was trying to intimidate. That's what Satan does. But remember, this is a good thing. When Satan does that, if he exposes your poverty and misery, it's actually ironically a good thing because that is what is needed to happen to make us beg for mercy. You know what? True. 
I don't have anything. St. Therese says, we'll go naked before God. God, I have nothing. I go completely naked before you except for your mercy. All right, next slide. Let's look at this. St. Faustina wrote, I do not ask, Lord, that you take me down from the cross, but I implore you to give me the strength to remain steadfast upon it. Powerful stuff. God often may seem silent, I admit, in my life too. In our trials, it may seem like God is silent and he's not there. But the cross is never God's last word. As uh, Father Thaddeus says in his book, Stepping on the Serpent, the cross is not the last word, the resurrection is. God does this when what we ask for is not for our best use. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 3 says a lot of times we ask with wrong motives. And that's why God doesn't always give us what we ask for. One might be somebody at the end of their life who we're praying not to die and this is true. This is a good thing. This is what God tells us to do. But to live indefinitely in this world full of sin and suffering, to live forever in this world, wouldn't be a blessing. To live in this world of brokenness, where the prince of darkness still has its, its claws on us, wouldn't be a blessing. The fact that the Father allows us to suffer is one of the greatest mercies why? Because a greater good can come out of it. The resurrection came after the cross and we can atone for our sins and the sins of the whole world. That's the prayer of the chaplet. Do you know the angels, Jesus said to St. Faustina that if the angels were capable of envy, they would only envy us for two reasons. That one, we can receive Holy Communion. They can't, they're pure spirit. And that we can suffer. They can't either. In those two ways, we imitate our Lord. That's why they would be envy of us, envious of us. Now, as I said, keep in mind, we will never be able to accept suffering if we don't understand its value. I'm not saying ask for it, bring it on, Lord, give me more. Only special souls can do that. Like John Vianney in the confessional would ask to bear the sufferings owed to his penitence. So suffering in those cases has to be accepted. Now, that doesn't mean, again, that you want it. You just ask the Lord to take it away, but his will be done. So suffering can lead to either distrust and bitterness, like a lot of people who get really sick. Why would you let this happen, Lord? Or to trust that, Lord, now I need you more than ever. See, this is the key. All right, let's go on one more. I showed this slide in one of my past talks. I'm going to show it again. Uh, St. Sebastian Valfrey said, when it is all over, you will not regret having suffered. Rather, you will regret having suffered so little and suffered that little so badly. <laughs> All right. I said, but we don't ignore suffering. You can and should complain. There are psalms called the psalms of lament. I'm sad. The psalms of complaint. I'm mad. Lord hears you. We can complain to a point that shows that you trust God is listening. If you didn't complain to God, it would mean you don't believe he's even listening. Don't be afraid to complain to him. This is powerful stuff. Jesus says that he uses worldly people for his glory. Sinners. People keep saying, how could this person be such an annoyance? God can't be with this person. I don't see Christ in him at all. He's nothing but an annoyance. 
I'm sure on Monday mornings in my production meetings, my staff says the same thing about me. <laughs> because he allows sometimes these people with annoyances for his glory. Why? Because he makes others grow in virtue by causing them to suffer. So in other words, if I annoy somebody, that causes their suffering, but they can grow in virtue because they can pray for me, and then that prayer for me ends up happening in my salvation. So it's a win-win. Being an annoying person can have you the opportunity to grow in virtue. You then pray for that annoying person, and the prayers can help that person to conversion. Only God could come up with such a masterful plan like that. It's really fascinating. All right, do you know who you will be the most grateful for at your death? Let's go to the next slide. Annoying people. This is who he says, annoying people will be the most grateful for at our death. Without the crosses they give us, we wouldn't be able to enter heaven. The worst cross is no cross at all. So loving those who cause us to suffer is very difficult. God said, you know, if you just love those who love you, even the sinners do that. Loving those like we talked about yesterday in 9-11, how could we possibly love somebody who hates us so bad that they would fly two planes into the World Trade Center to harm us? Yet that story I told in yesterday's homily of that priest who said that their souls are most need of prayer, pray for them, that's the ultimate call of a Christian. Loving those who cause us suffering, though, doesn't mean that we have to feel a bunch of love. I don't feel the emotions of love when I pray for the terrorists. That's okay. Love is not an emotion. Last page. Love is not an emotion. It's an act of the will. I don't have this great feeling of emotion every time I see a friend. Sometimes I'm aggravated. They're aggravated with me. And so we really have to understand this. Love is an act of the will. I choose to love you even when I'm angry or upset. Emotions go up and down like a seismograph. Love is steady. It's a vow. You know, look at the next slide. This is a picture of uh, myself as a little whippersnapper. I think it was age four there guiding the whole tour guide of the whole group there. There's my grandma. God bless my grandma. I use this slide in my talks like that's my grandma who took her own life. Um, this week is National Suicide Prevention Week, so please pray for all those who have taken their own lives. There I am, guiding the tour, you know. There's my mom, don't you love her hair? I, I always laugh. She says, that was the style back then. And there's my sister. I wanted to point this slide out because of my sister. You can see my sister there, and she adorable finger in her mouth there. Well, anyway, that that's my sister Pam, and... You know, my Pam was a victim of a divorce. Her um, husband announced one day that after 24 years of marriage, he doesn't feel in love with her anymore. He doesn't feel the fireworks when she walks into the room. Well, if you see fireworks, every time someone walks in the room for 24 straight years, you could be a case study. Seriously. Emotions are going to go up and down. What has to stay steady, because love is not an emotion. Love is an act of the will. No parent feels like getting up at 2 in the morning to change a dirty diaper. No parent jumps up and down and says, goody, 
I get to change a dirty bottom. They do it as an act of the will because they love that baby. I'm not doing it because I feel like it. I'm doing it because I made a choice to love this child. You know, anyway, my sister, whose husband walked out on her, ended up having an extramarital affair. And the woman that he was having an affair with was a troubled lady. And one day they were at a stop sign for a train. And they were waiting for the train to pass by as the train was approaching at the last second. This poor troubled soul jumped out in front of the train. And it killed her instantly. Now this was the same woman that ended my sister's marriage. The reason why her husband left her was because of this woman he was having an affair with. For three years before the divorce, he was having this relationship with this woman. This woman was the cause of the reason of the end of my sister's marriage. Now in an earthly sense, my sister had a lot of right to dislike greatly this woman. Instead, upon one conversation with my sister, who someday I hope I could be half the Christian she is, my sister says, I pray for her every day. Because I asked one day about her. My sister didn't even volunteer it. I just asked something about the family or whatnot. And she said, I pray for her every day. And she says, I don't feel like it. But I know it's the right thing to do. Because any soul that would be that troubled needs our prayers. And so to me, here's my sister who suffered greatly, but prays for this woman's soul every day without feeling like it. That's incredible. But that's what it is to be Christian. You know, the more valuable something is, the more we must pay to obtain it. This is standard. And the most valuable thing in the world is the human soul, which are all purchased at a price. Jesus said this. St. Faustine in the diary 961 said, every conversion of a sinful soul demands sacrifice, a price. If souls are precious to us, there will be no price too high to pay for them. If souls are not precious to us, then we will consider the cross too heavy a price to pay. The bottom line is my sister had a choice. If she didn't care about a soul, she could have just said, you know what? I'm glad this lady's out of his life now. She did it to herself. The pain and the misery she went through, she did it to herself. My sister never said that. My sister prayed for her soul because she knew a soul is precious and no cross, even praying for this woman, was too heavy. So in return for something that causes us pain and suffering, which will eventually end, we can gain for ourselves and others life that never ends. Fascinating. All right, just a couple more slides to go. In the next slide, Jesus said, I desire trust from my creatures. Let the weak, sinful soul have no fear to approach me. Boy, that gives me hope. For even if it had more sins than there are grains of sand in the world. Wow. Do you know how many quinzillions of grains of sand there are in the world? In one handful, there's millions, right? 
Even if it had more sins than there are grains of sand in the world, all would be drowned in the unmeasurable depths of my mercy. Wow. Since God cannot change. Now, sometimes we anthropomorphize God and we say he repented of creating man and, and, and this and that. That's because we're making him like us, but God can't change. And even our sins cannot change his love for us that he has for each and every one of us. So if you're feeling unloved, it's impossible that you're unloved because God wouldn't have created you. God created you out of love. So to heal sin, we need not, it's not about doing more. I always think of sin as doing more. I got to do this. I got to be more charitable. I, I got to do more prayer. Rather, we need to receive more. This is why God always compares us to a child. Our misery will never stop the father from loving us. So receive that love. It's kind of like when you pull the shade down on your window. The love of God is like the sun. It constantly shines in. And we have the control of the shade. Either we pull it down and block that love or we lift it up. But that sun is always shining. Even when it's a rainy day, do you know that above the clouds, the sun is shining? All right, that's obvious, but it's, I think it's, 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 it's wise. And the more misery we have, the more mercy we can receive from God. That's incredible. He just said, the more miserable the soul, the greater the right it has to my mercy. Remember, Jesus told St. Faustina, our trust is to manifest itself through works of love and mercy. In reality, I think this is awesome because we always think about when we help the poor, that the poor are benefiting. Do you know who actually benefits more when the poor are helped? You and me. In reality, the poor are the ones helping the rich because the poor open the hearts of the wealthy and give them a chance to be charitable. This is really powerful. Love is about giving and receiving. We give to become empty. So then we can receive. Think about that. Why do we give? We give to become empty so then we can receive and be filled with God in that emptiness that we created by giving ourselves out. So we constantly receive God's mercy, we give God's mercy. The more we give God's mercy and empty ourselves, the more of God's mercy we can receive. This is so powerful. And in fact, this is, this is the message. Um, love, if, okay, here's the point. If we are filled with this world, sex, money, and power, Here's the rich, here, here's, here's the thing. God can't fill us with the riches of the world to come. Next slide, please. We only got two more left, or three more, I'm sorry. Um, this is what the wedding feast of Cana is all about. The wedding feast of Cana is all about this. Mary does not expose the couple of the wedding to shame or make public their empty jars. You have no wine. You're empty. She doesn't make it public. Mary, in the same way, Mary brings our lack or our emptiness or our misery to Jesus in the same way, quietly. Satan would be there pointing to our lack or our misery and scream, give up. You don't have anything good in you. Your emptiness, you're barren. 
Yeah, that's because I want God to fill me. And then when God fills me, I give that away. And then when God fills me again, I give that away. This is incredible. So give up. You have no good in you, Satan screams. He would make it public, but Mary didn't. She went to Jesus quietly, and she does the same for us. She doesn't expose us. She takes us to Jesus, to Jesus through Mary. Jesus desires to fill the emptiness in us, our jars like the wedding feast at Cana, with his divine wine. That divine wine, the Holy Spirit. Very powerful. But our trust and obedience are necessary for this to happen. We need a vessel to receive all that. We need to have that jar. If God's going to fill us and, and we have an empty jar, that's the first part. We had to get the jar to be empty. But what is that jar? What vessel do we have for God to fill us? Well, that's your soul, Father Chris. Okay, but what makes up it? Let's read the next slide because we have our answer. The grace, the graces of my mercy are drawn by means of one vessel only. And that vessel is, you guessed it, trust. The more a soul trusts, the more it will receive. I rejoice that they ask for much because it is my desire to give much, very much. On the other hand, I am sad when souls ask for little when they narrow their hearts. So at Cana, Mary did this. She said, fill them, Lord. And she does the same for us. Fill my child, Lord. She didn't say how to do it. She waited with trust. But Mary took us to be filled. Mary invites us to allow the emptiness of our spiritual jars, our hearts, to be filled. This is what's going on at Cana. Nobody knows what Cana is about. All right. Do you know that also, this is where I want to finish. I'm done here, but this is an incredible concept. Do you know that God allows, excuse me, God also trusts us. Man, if I was God, I wouldn't trust me as far as I could throw me. What was, uh, was it St. Philip Neri that said, look out today for, for Philip today, Lord, because he'll betray you. So, but do you know that God trusts us? Look at the next slide. In marriage, I've shown this slide before. In marriage, he entrusts your spouse to you as well as your children. There's your spouse and there's your child. That's a huge responsibility that God has entrusted you. If God is going to entrust you, you need to trust him. Marrying someone means that you have each decided to become a bridge builder between yourself and your misery and your spouse and their misery and the Father's mercy. You know, we're going to work together in our brokenness, and we're going to call in God's mercy to fill our jars. And we're going to work together at this. God entrusts you with that spouse and children. He super trusts you. So we should trust him too. Their failings and annoyances of you, oh my gosh, my husband drives me up the wall. Those are opportunities for you to grow in virtue. St. Faustina, St. Therese talked about the sisters in the convent that drove them bonkers, but they knew it was a way to grow in virtue. Jesus entrusts all of us. And you know the biggest way he trusts us? With his very self in the Eucharist.
with God's very self in the Eucharist, he trusts us. That's why divine mercy is not just about our devotion to God. Divine mercy is also God's devotion to us. So, next slide is awesome. Blessed Francis Xavier Silo said, none, and I love this quote, none of the damned was ever lost because his sin was too great, but because his trust was too small. Wow. None of the damned was ever lost because his sin was too great, but because his trust was too small. Jesus, I trust in you. Wow. Please take this message of trust to the heart. This is what is the key to heaven. And you know what? I think I do have time to show a one-minute video to wrap up the day that kind of summarizes Jesus' divine mercy because that, at its heart, is about trust. Let's play that one-minute video. It was to this novice, considered no one special by her superior, that Jesus Christ would quietly entrust a great mission. Christ instructed Faustina to remind the world about God's unfathomable mercy. She was to accomplish this by introducing new devotional practices to honor mercy and by establishing a worldwide movement of souls dedicated to spreading divine mercy. Jesus directed Faustina to proclaim to the world that even the worst and most hopeless sinner was deserving of God's infinite mercy. It is divine mercy, he said, that will determine the future destiny of the world. Speak to the world about my mercy. Let all mankind recognize my unfathomable mercy. It is a sign for the end times, after it will come the day of justice. While there is still time, let them have recourse to the fount of my mercy. So that is the message of divine mercy, which we can simply receive through one vessel, trust. Trust is the vessel by which you receive all the grace of divine mercy. So God bless all of you. And you know what? I do want to throw one last thing up there because if you would like to see a wonderful movie that was produced by a good friend of ours, uh, Michael Kondrat, that really summarizes today's talk was about the life and spirituality of St. Faustina. You want to get a great docudrama that puts it all together, look on your screen. It's called Love and Mercy Movie. And you can get it at shopmercy.org slash Saturday. And on there, you will be able to get that DVD, the full-length movie. It's a great resource. So any, everybody, have a great rest of your weekend. God bless you. We hope you'll join us next week as we say, trust Jesus, I trust in you. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Why be a Marian helper? Because we Marian Fathers celebrate a Mass for you and all our members each and every day. You can share in all the prayers, good works, and merits of all the Marian priests and brothers around the world. And now you can share the graces just as if you were a Marian priest or brother. Every All Souls Day, we see a Mass for all the deceased members of the Association of Marian Helpers. 
Again, there's no way that after we die, we can help ourselves. But we have to rely on the prayers of those here on earth. And we members of the Marian Fathers will be praying for you as a deceased member of our association. You can share in the graces of the perpetual novena to the divine mercy. Remember Jesus told St. Faustina that the chaplet of divine mercy is one of the most powerful prayers we can make. And every day here at the Shrine of Divine Mercy, we pray it and you can share in those graces. So if you have any questions or you wanna learn more how to be a Marian helper, please visit micprayers.com or call 1-800-462-7426 and let me personally pray for you and your loved ones. Thank you and may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content, which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit DivineMercyPlus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's DivineMercyPlus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.